Welcome to this week's episode of Deep Dive. I'm Amy. I'm Shane. And today we're going to talk about the Beatitudes and what it means to be blessed. Before we dive into this week's episode, we just want to let you know that we are taking your questions to answer in future episodes. So if you have questions about subjects we covered, questions about life, anything having to do with the pod, even the most mundane and silly questions, send them to us at questions at deepdivepod.org. Uh, the notes are there on the screen, but they're also in the show notes. Send us your questions to questions at deepdivepod.org. Now let's get on with the show. Today, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I thought that it was really kind of an interesting way to really begin off the sermon this week because you had folks really kind of go on this imaginary trip mm -hmm. or this mind's eye kind of trip to Galilee. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me even, it's really hard to visualize without somebody making mm -hmm. that concerted invitation to you, particularly from someone who's actually been there and mm -hmm. pretty recently. So how did you yeah. arrive at, at including that? Um, I think a lot of it is one of the highlighting things for me about the trip I went on in June and July of this last year was that um, scale. You know, it's like we, we have a lot of technological tools these days. I mean, I, I'm somebody who can waste a lot of time on Google Earth you know, doing all the, that type of thing, you know, and so you can get sort of a idea of things, you know, Lord knows there's enough pictures of everything on earth these days. Um, but actually being in presence, even, I mean, you can even do augmented reality, you know, of these sort of things on your phones or VR headsets, but even things like that just don't give you a sense of, of scale. And, um, I, what was struck me particularly about the Mount of Beatitudes and that sort of Capernaum area is just how visible things are and how if you just stood there and let's, you know, had a moment where you were in your mind, you know, just just thinking about your mission before you or thinking about you were someone that heard Jesus and you were thinking about these questions. Um, the very things that he were challenging were like the things you saw, you know, if that made sense it, it in, in a lot of different ones, because it, everything is so visible there because it's just not as big as maybe our mind would imagine it to be. Um, and it's both bigger and smaller. I, I think the bigger part of it that it's, we really just can't grasp is because the way people travel, you know, it's certainly there was a, there was a Roman road probably going by there that enabled more efficient travel, but it, you know, we're still talking by ox and cart by feet, you know, and, and these aren't enormous distances. You know, I think it's like a, you know, 180 kilometers, something like that to Jerusalem down, you know, so we were able to travel that in a bus, but, uh, it's over mountainous terrain. We, you know, we drove over to Tel Aviv to cut down, to get there, to get there more efficiently. Um, but for them, you know, the, the road from like Jericho to Jerusalem's a little 
one lane on the side of a cliff type of thing, you know, to get there from the Decapolis, which is where some people would have come to, to hear the sermon on the Mount, they would have had to cross the Jordan somewhere. You know, maybe that maybe they took a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But I, would, I would suspect they'd cross the Jordan somewhere, either north or south of the Sea of Galilee. Um, you know, I, I think that's some of it. It's just to sort of helpful and understand that because there's just a lot of contrast. Um, you know, specifically because of I mentioned the city of Tiberias, which is now is this really big modern. It's considered a holy city now, and a, and you know, in a really important place. But back then, it was only around for maybe ten years. Um, you know, when Jesus began his ministry and it was, it was really a, an intentionally Hellenized city. And so it was the Herodians, you know, the poli- people that believed in this sort of like, let's keep visit- building Israel as this big modern nation state uh, underneath Rome. And, um, you know, they've been well aware of the Decapolis as being these Hellenized cities as well, been aware of the zealots, all those sorts of thing. And it just struck me is that no matter where you were, whether you were down at Capernaum or up on the Mount of Beatitudes, those things would have been obvious to you because that's those are the things you would have seen if you just got bored and turned your head as Jesus was speaking. Those are the things that would have popped in your mind. And so that that was powerful for me. And I didn't really know how else to it's one it's one thing just to talk about that. It's another thing to try to help people imagine that, um, you know, I don't know. I was happy to go to the Holy Land because I felt like my imagination uh, wasn't accurate. Mm. And because that it's just a total different topography and, and obviously area of the world. And, but I think, you know, imagining at the very least gives you a sense of that. And so I, you know, I hope it was valuable for people. I, you know, I don't know. That was the intent. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I actually like that you didn't include any photos. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> because yeah. that really, you know, let the hearers yeah. just be able to listen to what you were saying mm-hmm. and really kind of go on that trip together. Yeah. And I, I think the entire thing was really pretty illuminating for me, uh, thinking about all of these people already at this point, kind mm-hmm. of being around Jesus. Yeah, Cause yeah. I, I think I, I live with the narrative that it starts off just very small, you know, because last week we have the calling of the mm-hmm. the fishermen. So it, it feels very tiny. And then this week it jumps to mm-hmm. these big crowds of people really traveling and coming from yeah. all over to be there. And I think that's just a very different picture than Jesus right by the water and calling these. Yes. You know. Yeah. It's interesting too. And uh, something that comes to me is that, um, it had to be a really big group just because like they can list all these places, even if it's just one person from these places, it's like 12 different places, right. you know? Um, but uh, having been in Capernaum, there's this historical synagogue you can go in. Now it, it had been built upon the one that would have been there in Jesus's time. So you're not walking on the actual stones Jesus would have walked on, um, but you're there in that general space and you know, the Mount's basically behind it. And if Jesus, I, I, it makes me just wonder why did he go up this Mount? You know, was it for the view? I, I suspect a large part of it is just because where else is he going to go there? If there were that many people sort of hounding him for these things and, and where else is he going to go? And, you know, it's just a happy circumstance that it creates this, you know, beautiful view. There's, you know, there've been people that have gone as far as to do like acoustical analysis. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? Or people yep. about like, is it possible for them to hear them? And it's really easily possible for them mm-hmm. to hear them because of the way, the way the sort of bowl shape of the Galilee sea is and the way that the, the way that hill slopes is so gentle. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's kind of like a natural amphitheater in some ways. And so the idea of this rabbi, this wisdom teacher being able to just go up there and sit down and for people to hear them uh, is interesting. I, I, I think one of the interesting things to explore in the text too, is like, he's obviously in the midst of people teaching, but Matthew seems to indicate he's really more talking to the apostles, those, those disciples. And it's not even the full roster at this mm-hmm. point, you know, and I, I don't know. That's an interesting, I didn't really go into that. There's probably something to find in there, but I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing to think about. Absolutely. And I, I have some questions actually about very mm-hmm. specific things within the text. Oh, okay. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's an opportunity really to talk about translation and interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think the Beatitudes really lend themselves to that because you have this repetition of the mm-hmm. word blessed. Blessed, yeah. Yeah, blessed. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of differing words that could be used there. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. you mentioned in the sermon happy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's fortunate. Mm-hmm. satisfied, content. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've not heard the content one, yeah. Actually, one I heard, too, last week was enviable, like really thinking about oh, yeah. that yeah, in, okay. in, in that sort of way. So I, I think it's really interesting for all of those words to be perhaps possible yeah. um, for the for the one Greek yeah. word and really thinking about how when translators are looking at that text and choosing words in English mm-hmm. for us, it's not just a translation that this is, you know, this means this, it's an interpretation too. Yeah. Um, the one that makes me the laugh the most is the one where they say congratulations. <laughs> Cause it's hard to not hear that at like almost like an internet pop-up. Congratulations. You're our 100th customer or something. You're like, congratulate. It, it almost gives it a bit of like a sarcastic vibe yeah. or something. Um, yeah. There's an interesting, like there's layers to this interpretation as well. And so, one of the ones I, I mentioned in the sermon, and this is this is as a result of some newer scholarship, is there's some newer scholarship that are trying to get people to take a, and this is a fancy word here, sapiential view of the text, which it's a fancy word for saying wisdom. Okay, <laughs> So uh, it's to get a, uh, a wisdom literature view of the text. Now, I, I, I say this in sermon, I'll re- reiterate here because it's it's very confusing. Uh, the point of wisdom literature. So if you're going to see like the song of Solomon, if you're going to see Ecclesiastes, if you want to, you know, if there, there's some wisdom literature, even in the Apocrypha too, um, it's a whole genre of literature. And the idea with wisdom literature is wisdom, particularly in the old Testament, I preached a sermon on this back in in the summer is is very personified. You know, it's a female, a a female, uh, you know, sort of personification of this state. And so there's, been some scholarship saying, is this, is this an intentional thing or is this actually, should we understand wisdom as a person within the Godhead? Um, lay that aside for now. <laughs> but the idea from a communication standpoint is wisdom literature is merely being like the person writing it is just translating something internal. They're not putting their spin on it. Mm. They're just trying to say, I'm the conduit which to relay to you this wisdom which comes is very problematic at different times, particularly as Christianity was dealing with controversies like Gnostics, which believe that the core of the faith was to have this secret wisdom. And once you knew it, you had it and you, you know, unlocked all these things, you know? Um, but the idea of wisdom literature is if, if you behave in the ways as wisdom subscribes and, and prescribes to you, you would be, as I said, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Mm-hmm. And, and so What's so interesting about the word makarios, that Greek word there, is probably, at least in my understanding, 
it's best, it's happy or fortunate or probably the closest things to the word for word definition. But if you look at things like the Septuagint, which is, you know, our Old Testament translated into Koine Greek, you know, and, and all the Latin sources, you start getting to this point where you understand what he's saying there, that word makarios, particularly when it's in the Old Testament, always is translated as blessed because it comes out of that genre, that genre of like, you behave like these things or you are these things, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so this is where it gets so complicated because our translators, when they translate the Bible from Greek, from our Greek sources into English, have to make a choice about that word. And so in the case of the common English Bible, I believe it's using happy. You know, it's using happy and they're thinking, well, that's more, they might be thinking maybe that's more understandable, but it's also more accurate. That's a win-win. Um, but the version I read from was the New Revised Standard and they translated it as blessed because they're making the decision that what Jesus is doing here is participating in the act of doing wisdom literature or wisdom speech. And I don't know, that's confusing. Um, to me, this is what unlocks the most interesting thing. Part of it, uh, interesting part of this verse for me is um, the Beatitudes are not a prescription for how to behave in the way wisdom literature is some sometimes. And so that's a, um, that's kind of a mind bender for people that would have heard this originally. Um, the other thing is it, it it's, um, it's a promise of what will be. So, you know, to use another fancy word, it is an eschatological promise. It's a promise of when, you know, when, when all is in all, you know, when kingdom come, you're going to be blessed, even though you are mourning now. Um, and so it, it's weird because it, you don't have to do anything. Jesus is just letting you know how it is. And in that sense, it really is wisdom literature, but it's also like foolish because, you know, I think I said in the sermon, no one's going to think the poor in spirit, you know, make yourself more poor in spirit and then you'll be more healthy, wealthy and wise. You know, they're kind of the inverse of these things. Uh, I think I think when you start approaching it from that framework, the idea of being a peacemaker starts to feel a little more subversive as well, because maybe from a wisdom perspective, it would be about triumphing over your enemies with truth or all these. You know, it might be a little more dominionist in that language. Um, I don't know. It, it It is a little confusing because some of that scholarship's pretty new to think about this as wisdom, but that's where translation gets difficult. Mm -hmm. and, and then the other thing that'll really burn your biscuit on this one is that I just said burn, burn your biscuit. That might yep. burn your biscuit that I said that. Um, <laughs> the other one would be there's some substantial differences between the way Luke tells this, tells the Beatitudes mm -hmm. and the way Matthew tells That was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Matthew is blessed of the poor in spirit. What's Luke? Blessed are the poor. poor. That's it, you know, and so, <laughs> so I, I don't, I, I think you might look at that from one's perspective and see like really big disagreement. Um, or I don't think they're really that different because I, I think a lot of these things are, are synonymous with each other. Um, you know, so I, I think the root of all these things is humility. You know, I think when, I think when Matthew's saying meek, he's really talking about humility. Um, and I think all those things intertwine. So even Luke talking about the poor, 
poor is a humble state. It's a little bit different than maybe a rich person that considers themselves humble, but I don't think they're necessarily far off from each other. I don't know. I don't know how that lands you. Do how have you interpreted those differences? <laughs> I mean, I so I'm not just with the Beatitudes, but I think just holding up the gospel of Matthew and holding up the gospel of Luke, to me, Luke has a much more um, focal point on these are the, the poor who are with us right now. Yeah. These are social justice issues that yeah. are important right now that need our action yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I'm in, I'm interpreting or I'm looking at Luke's listing of the Beatitudes really through that lens of how I see the entire gospel of yeah. Luke. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it might be just our assumptions of who the author is and sure. what their intent is. Cause yep. much has been made about, mm-hmm. you know, the assumption that Matthew's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience that would mm-hmm. have been well-versed in, in, in sort of that theology and tradition. And so, and he's having to speak in a language they would understand. I mean, it might be simply that. I, I don't know. It's very yeah. confusing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So you, you so you use the phrase okay. in, the, in the sermon, um, God chooses sides. Yeah. Yeah. And favored by God. Um, those are... They're big statements. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have further questions about those, but I was hoping maybe you could just say a little bit more just in general about saying that. Boy, that's that's like four episodes of a podcast, I, I think. Um, man, I don't know really how to, I, I don't really feel compelled to make the case sure. for that right now, other than uh, I just think, that's kind of the way it is. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. I, I know some people bristle at that sure. because we, I think we imprint our sense of equality on things, but I, I, um, I was careful at a couple points of the sermon to not use the word equality, but to rather mm-hmm. use the term equity. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's a better understanding of things. It's a really interesting cartoon that's talking about the difference between equality and equity. And I'll try to make sure and put it in the show notes. Cause I, I think it demonstrates in a visual way better than I can. I, the general notion of equity is that we're all arriving um, to a location at different levels of ability and resources and things like that. Equity is not giving, equality is giving us all the same thing. Sure. Equity is giving us what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I, I think a lot of this has to come with, particularly in this passage, is one cannot help but read the Beatitudes and and not see that it has a strong connection with Isaiah 61. Again, here we go. We're tying Luke and Matthew together. Matthew doesn't make mention of this, but Luke does, where where he is in the synagogue and what scroll does he open and preach from? <laughs> Luke sixty one. You know, and it's the recovery of sight to the blind. The, all the, I, the Isaiah, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm saying Luke. Yeah, yeah. Luke <laughs> is quoting Jesus reading Isaiah yeah. sixty one. Um, and if you read. If you read any of that prophetic literature, particularly when it comes to areas of that go into social justice, which let's be honest, is most of the prophets, it's not the mm-hmm. future prediction we try to make it up to be. It has to do with the treatment of the poor. So if God doesn't favor the poor, why does God spend so much time telling us how to treat the poor? If mm-hmm. it's just about our souls and being right with God, why does God spend so much time talking about marginalized individuals? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if this, if we were to take the Sermon on the Mount and say it is the distillation of all the things Jesus believes in, this is his, you know, his mission statement. Mm-hmm. If we were to take Luke and, and look at that reading from Isaiah, as I've interpreted before, this is his mission statement. It is all about marginalized people. 
his, you know, his expanding opus on all the things he believes begins with the blessing of people that are not the rich are not the powerful. Uh, none of those things. It's all the marginalized individuals. And I, I, I can't help but think, and I can't help but think if someone were to have never encountered the Bible and would read it in a, you know, in a thematic way, they would walk away with the impression of like this God person really is not a huge fan of the rich (laughs) and is really on the side of the poor, which is a very complicating question. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you were saying those things in the sermon, I was like, Oh, this, (laughs) this is the preferential option for the poor. This is what he's saying. So I really wanted to just Mm -hmm. get into that a little bit more because I was like, yeah, Oh, that that's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say that stuff aloud a lot too, just to remind myself of it. Cause it's very easy to slip back, particularly as Americans to slip back into this. We're all equal sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, as I was driving in today, I was listening to uh, a podcast about the TV show, the good place. Um, it just finished up. It made me cry like the whole time. Love it so much. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with it, it's a show that's been on NBC for the last four years. And it's a, a story sort of about the afterlife and about moral philosophy, which just sounds like the funnest you know show ever, but it it's wonderful. Um, and in it, they're just sort of coming to terms. What's it mean to do good for each other? They're asking the question based on this philosophical work called what do we owe each other? That's one of the big things. They talk a lot about death and things like that. And and it's hard. It's, it's hard for me to watch that show and just not think of how it relates to the church and the question. And in this week, it, it, I felt like it related particularly strongly because um, this gets back to what we were discussing about the wisdom tradition earlier. And uh, I think one of the the critiques uh, we often try to people try to paint the Bible as all as though it speaks with one voice uniformly. But if one were to hold up certain parts of uh, wisdom tradition, Proverbs in particular, and then hold it up in conversation with Psalms, there's a lot of disagreement. And one of the big disagreements is why are people poor? Um, a wisdom tradition is going to say more than likely someone is poor because they're not virtuous, that they're not living wisely. Whereas the Psalms is much more willing to be in a place where it just happens sometimes and comes at it from a space of mourning, you know? Um, And so to me that relates to this beatitudes in this way that um, a discussion, the good place cop podcast was having about this idea of it's called moral dessert Mm. Uh, moral dessert is the idea that it um, it's the belief that if you do the moral things, you will be happy for it. You will get the benefits of that moral behavior. Um, and to me, how that relates to Christianity is this notion of the dark night of the soul. So uh, the dark night of the soul can be interpreted a couple different ways. I, the way I see it a lot is it, it's a point in our faith where we are, we are acting faithful. We're doing the things we feel we should doing, but we're not getting like the great emotional high off of that, you know, and, and that's a real challenge in this day and age because a lot of the church has drifted to this, like, you know, just real upbeat and I, I'm not against being upbeat. <laughs> I, I want to be clear about that, but it, it's, um, it's that as though like the barometer or our weight and how we measure our closeness with God is purely how do I feel affirmed by God? Do I, or my, is my life going well? And I, and I, I tried to say in the sermon, I do think wealth and health and status are poor indicators of one's status with God, particularly in light of this beatitudes where it's the inverse of all those things. 
you know, and so I think to relate it back to that idea of moral dessert, that moral philosophy is that one of the real big challenges of the Christian faith is pursuing things for the right reason and that being enough. Um, you know, and I think that can be challenging in the Beatitudes in multiple ways. I, I did say in the sermon, this idea that like, if we were to make ourselves more poor in spirit and more mournful and all these things, it's not going to make us closer to God. It's not going to get us a bigger, you know, castle in the afterlife. It, it's nothing like that. Uh, in the same regard, if we happen to have a, a season of plenty in our life and everything's going wonderful, that doesn't necessarily mean we're a more virtuous person. You know, our ethical choices are still before us, you know, to love others as we love ourselves. Um, that's still before us, irregardless of the consequences, the perceived consequences, or even the unintended consequences. And that's an enormous challenge of faith because we'd like to think, if I do the right thing, I'm going to be okay. Um, and we should know better because our ultimate example of this, the human one, Jesus living the fully human life, did the right thing, and it cost him his life. Um and I think that's a particular challenge in the modern church um, because we're so, we're so quick to play victim that we, uh, particularly in the church, we can very easily fall into victim mentality and even use that as this perverse backwards affirmation of like, well, I'm suffering now. I perceive the suffering. I've, therefore, I must be very faithful. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, there's a, it's a very challenging time to be uh, a person of faith. Um, because of just how complicated these things are. But I think at the core root of it, to me, it comes back to the word integrity is pursuing the things we feel called to pursue on their own merits and just learning to, frankly, endure what happens because of that, but still making those good as best we can moral choices. I, I think that can be kind of a secondary challenge of the Beatitudes and particularly what we think of ourselves. You know, I, I, I'm just as guilty as anyone when things are going great in my life, thinking like, well, I'm a wonderful person. I, <laughs> I deserve this. I've got it together. Yeah, I've got it together. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only other thing I would say, because you've talked about the Matthew and Luke, would be um, kind of tying together with the Micah passage if there if there was anything there to talk about because that obviously this passage from micah is way up here on flax and you know yeah yeah we we actually sang this week the micah 6 8 what does the lord require of you we 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 read the expanded version um i think that i do think that relates to what kind of what we just talked about about you know the integrity of doing and I think some of that is some of the commentators I read were talking about the Beatitudes and they weren't directly referencing Micah, but I do think they evoke each other is that the, the message of the Beatitudes is to live simply with hope and compassion and the simplicity part of that. And and simplicity I think has multiple levels. It's the one just not being consumer overly consumeristic and, and focused on wealth and all those things. But I think sometimes simplicity is honestly a simple ethic that one lives by, you know, what does the Lord require of you to seek justice? You know, what humbly with your God, you know, there's these very simple iterations. Um, and to me, maybe that's the message I would take in that simplicity is like, just try to keep your moral reasoning as simple as possible. That way you can 
analyze your why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's really complicated. We've opened like, you know, 10 doors that we could <laughs> spend months talking about right. this week. <laughs> but uh, I could see that relating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, the, the, the Beatitudes are not kind of this litmus test of, you know, are you, are you doing this? Yeah. Are you doing yeah, this? Yeah. Are you doing this? You brought that up a little bit, but I think there's some comfort in that too. So maybe I'm just thinking maybe even mm-hmm. more, a little bit more poetically, but I'm, I'm wondering if one of the things the Lord requires of us is to know that we are loved to be, or to, mm-hmm. to believe that we are loved, to believe that we can be blessed, um, that that Jesus, for those hearers, that that is what he wanted for them, to know that in mm-hmm. that moment as he looked at their faces. And I'm and going back a little bit even to that imagining, I wonder if we can imagine God saying that same thing mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, it'd be interesting to tease out how one did that in an act of worship. How could Mm -hmm. we construct a way to remind ourselves of that blessing? Mm -hmm. Well, now's the time in the show where we like to recommend to you uh, some things that we've enjoyed, that we think you'd enjoy, that you could dive into, uh, waste a lot of time on, uh, might make you a better person, might just give you a little fun. I don't know. We've, we've been all over the place on this, but um, I'll go first because mine is super brief. I'm just going to recommend you. I know I think I've said, I think I've said this before, but now that it is over, please watch the good place. <laughs> it's very short. It's only four year, like four, you know, four seasons, <laughs> four, like years. four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, four seasons. And most of the seasons are 12 episodes or less. I think the first one's only eight. It's great. It takes a little bit to get into. Cause as I say, it's a show about death and moral philosophy. Um, uh, but it is, it's wonderful and charitable and all that's good about TV. Uh, so yeah, give it a shot. So mine actually is a, a crafting Ooh. kind of opportunity. Alrighty. I know you're going to go right on home and buy this Absolutely. immediately. So, so I pretty recently got a vinyl cutting machine. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. one of the silhouettes yeah, yeah. so that you can make cups and t-shirts and blankets and all kinds of stuff that you design in the very easy to use program that comes with it. And then you can make all these wonderful Disney items. Mm, mm. Mm. There it is. <laughs> but it really is worth checking out because it's, it's really fun. There are things that you can buy and import. So you don't even have to be super creative yourself if you don't want to. So the question I have is you, mm-hmm. have you made things yet yes. or, is, or is it just the promise of the possibility? Oh no, no, no. no okay. I've made things. And so I have a daughter who's 12. Her name's Addie. And I tasked her actually with figuring out how it works. It's like so, and of course she figured it out instantly. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No time at all. So yeah. it came in very handy. So yeah. So yeah, she yeah. just made a sweatshirt over the weekend. Oh, and, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Any so. clues? What's the sweatshirt? What was the sweatshirt? Oh, uh, it's a neon green sweatshirt. Um, I can't even remember what she put on there. Oh, okay. She was truly she. That's did, impressive, though. I she mean, designed yeah. it. She printed it. She cut it. I ironed it on, but yeah. yeah. I'd be afraid of having like the iron on stuff. I feel like I would iron. <laughs> I just iron like just really embarrassing things on my own clothes because I thought it would be because I thought it'd be funny. This and then looks I so cool. Yeah, it looks so cool. Or like in my, I just thought it would be funny. I would do it, and then I would just be like, "Well, ruined another shirt." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us down in the show notes below or in the notes on your podcast app there. You'll find links to where you could watch or listen to the sermon. You'll find links to uh, these things we recommended here, including the cartoon we talked about earlier in the episode. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Like, review us, share us with your friends. And we'll see you next time on Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. Bye-bye. <laughs>